All right. Well, it's an awesome honor to be able to share today from Judges chapter 7. And uh, it's great to see everybody. And uh, just, I just need to just tell you, and as I was standing up here, I know you guys are getting the speakers coming towards you. I was getting your beautiful voices, and it sounded amazing. You're a good choir. You're a good choir. You are. Um, so I was reminded this week as I was preparing uh, for this message in Judges 7 um, about something that happened like 17 years ago. Uh, when we were living in Baltimore, and uh, these were some crazy years. Our girls were eight, are eight, they're not, they weren't 18 months apart. They are 18 months apart, but they were um, in their glory 18 months apart. Like they were, you know, all the energy you could possibly imagine. And uh, it was a crazy time in our life. And um, I remember one night uh, we were sleeping and I am not a light sleeper. I'm a heavy sleeper. I don't wake up easily. Uh, at all, you can. If you don't believe me, you can ask my wife. It might be one uh, only times you'll hear her say "Amen" in the middle of a service. Uh, and no, honey, okay. Um, but but all of a sudden, just she woke me up out of my sleep, and she went, "Rusty," I went, "What? What? There's somebody downstairs." She didn't say, "I heard something downstairs." I think maybe we should check something out. There could be. She said, there's somebody downstairs. And without thinking or anything, just any at all, I just jumped out of my bed and flew downstairs. Nothing in my hands. I won't tell you what garb I was wearing, but there was garb, okay? Um, And I was just, I'm standing in the middle. I turned all the lights on. I'm opening closet doors. And I'm standing, little me. And I'm standing in the middle of the family room. And I'm like, like this. I couldn't see straight. And I'm like, there's nobody down here. And I went down to the, it was like a three-story townhouse. So I went, I thought, well, maybe it's down. You know, I'm not thinking clearly at all, obviously. I don't know what I thought I was going to do except maybe scare them with the sight of me like this in my garb. Uh, but, and I just, I got downstairs and I'm open, I'm in the garage. Next thing you know, I'm standing in the garage. It's like three in the morning and I'm like, is this a cruel joke or something? Like what is going on? And I was like, there's nobody in the house. And I went upstairs and I said, Kelly, there's nobody here. There's nobody, oh. I thought I heard something. I was like, <laughs> I said, do you realize what could have happened? I was like, I, I literally, I went down there with no preparation whatsoever to do anything. Okay, nothing. I didn't have a lamp in my hand. I didn't have anything, nothing. A roll of paper towels, I, nothing. A shoe, something. I didn't have anything, you know. And um, I just, I always think about that story because, you know, number one, I thought, well, Rusty, you know, you'll do pretty much anything you need to do if you think your family's in danger. So that's pretty cool. You never know what you'll do in that moment. But then on the other side, I was like, but the problem is, is you wouldn't have been able to do anything. Um, But I I kid you not, the very, one of the primary thoughts that came into my mind as I'm standing in the middle of the family room with the lights on in the middle of the night like this is, I am so done 
I'm outnumbered. I am just like, whatever, it could be anybody. It could be a, a sweet old lady hiding in the closet who came to rob our house and I would be outnumbered right now. I would have no chance, right? I'd be outnumbered. How many of you have felt outnumbered in your, not, I, yes, in your life. How many of you felt outnumbered when you got up this morning? Yeah, some of you are like, yeah, I feel outnumbered, you know? Some of you, on a little bit more of a serious note, you feel outnumbered. You feel like it's all kinds of things against you. You know, um, you know when I walked in here this morning and, you know, it, like, and we started the service and like I came up to do the welcome, I felt a little outnumbered. I thought, man, it's quiet in here. Like, it's, you know, where's the, and, and I'm, not, I'm not into vibes. I'm not into energy. But like sometimes we find ourselves in a situation where we go, am I the only one who is like, feels this way, whether it's good or bad? Am I the only one that's afraid? Am I the only one that's happy? I feel outnumbered. And today the title of the message is outnumbered, question mark, outnumbered. Yeah, say it however you want to say it. We're talking about Gideon and he found himself in a situation where he was really outnumbered. But we find out in the end that he wasn't. Because God was working in Gideon's life and he was working in the Israelites and he had a plan. And the thing I want you to understand this morning is, is that with God, you'll never wake up in the middle of the night without a plan. If you are walking with him and you are in fellowship with him, you'll never wake up in the middle of the night and end up in the middle of the family room with the lights on and you can't see with no plan. If you know Jesus, if you serve him and you say, listen, he is my savior, but I feel like I am just lost, dazed, and confused. No condemnation. But the good news this morning for you is, is that that's not how God wants it to be. And it doesn't need to be that way. That's not to beat you over the head and say, well, you're just doing a bunch of things wrong. Well, you may be doing some things wrong, but it's always good news when we find out that God, that it doesn't have to be that way. And so we're going to read from Judges chapter 7, verse 1 through 7, and we are, we're going to read quite a few verses today. But the one thing I want to encourage you about Gideon with is that sometimes we read about these guys in the Bible. Gideon is written about in Hebrews as like a, as a, like a spiritual hero. Okay, so it might be hard to believe when you read some of what's going on right now, right? Because he seems pretty afraid. But this is at a time where Gideon is weak and, and Gideon is growing and, and, and Gideon's got some, some things to learn and some growing to do. But in the end, you know, God did some great things through him. And, he's, and like I said, he's written about in Hebrews amongst others where amazing things happen through them. But I would encourage you, as we talk about Gideon this morning, sometimes we look at him and we say, well, you know, I'm Gideon. Or I, I, I should be like Gideon. I, I, maybe I could be like Gideon. Maybe I could do the things that Gideon did. I would encourage you just to realize that you, you're a lot like Gideon. That in, and it's okay to, to realize that, that you have some of the same weaknesses, you have some of the same doubts, some of the same worries, some of the same fears. But what we can learn today is, is that with God, we are never outnumbered. So let's read, starting in verse one of chapter seven. It says, then Jeroboam, and that is Gideon, okay? That name, Jeroboam, was a name given to him by his um, father, Joash, who... Uh, 
was into some pagan worship. So that nickname really has pagan roots. Okay? That's not a name that God gave him. All right? But that's Gideon. And all the people who were with him. By the way, the reason I bring that up is because I think sometimes we place a little bit too much credence in maybe I didn't have the same roots that that guy had. I've had people say that to me. I'm very blessed. I come from a a family of many pastors. I got amazing parents. Many of you know my parents, and you can attest to that. They're great people, spiritual giants in my eyes. I had grandparents that were spiritual giants, all of that. And I've had people say, man, what a heritage, and I wish I could have could have had that. And you know what? I, that's just a testimony to, to, the God, to God's grace in my life. But the reality is, is that it doesn't matter whether you have a nickname that's rooted in pagan traditions. What matters is, is what God wants to do in your life right now. So it says, then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Mora in the valley. Now, there's a lot of details here that we're not going to get into today because I'm too long-winded to do that. So there'd be some things you might have questions about we're just not going to, we're not going to talk about. The Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Now, follow this story. If you've never read this story, it's an unbelievable story. There are too many of them. Lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people. He's telling Gideon this to tell the people this. Proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Now, what you need to understand some specifics here is that they're talking about delivering the Midianites into the hands of the Israelites. Now, there are 135,000 Midianites. Okay, this is the size of the army that they would be going up against. And there are 32,000 Israelites. And you said, wait a minute. And God said, that's too many. 32,000 is too many. We got to cut things back a little bit before we head into battle against the Midianites. How many of you work in jobs where you could ever imagine that if you walked into a boardroom or to your CEO or whoever and said, listen, I think what we're going to have to do to, to, to compete with the competition is like cut back on things like Pull in, like stop, stop covering such you know a wide area. I know we've reached a, a big you know marketplace. We need to cut that back a little bit. They look at you like you're crazy. But here God is saying, no, 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 we got to cut it back. So He said, everybody who's worried and afraid, and guess what? Then twenty two thousand of the people returned, and ten thousand remained. Twenty two thousand said, I'm sorry, what was that? Worried and afraid? Yeah, that's me. Right here, I'm out. Thank you so much. By the way, this was actually one of four ways that they would traditionally determine who would go to battle or not. They would, be, they would because if you were afraid, fear is contagious, right? So people with fear can produce other people with fear. Remember that the next time you, you are projecting fear about life. You know, maybe you just go to work and you're trying to identify with a coworker. 
And, you know, you hear them talking about stress and fear. She said, well, let me tell them about some of my stress and fear. So you start talking about financial worries. You start, and and, and, all, and you've, you're supposed to have the peace of God in you, but, you're, you know, you're, you're going off in this direction. Guess what you're doing? You are being contagious with, with what you're putting out. We've had a lot of sicknesses in the last few years. Several weeks ago, my family got it. Mm, I'm not going to talk about that right now, but it was bad. And, and we were, it was being spread. I, was, I felt like an outcast, man. My wife didn't even want to look at me. But what about fear? What about worry? I'm not saying you should walk around shunning people like that. But do you ever think about that for yourself and say, hey, if I realized how contagious I am with this, would people even want me in the same room with them for fear that they would get it? So 22,000 said, we're afraid, we're out, okay? Verse four, and the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Take them down to the water. 10,000, too much. We gotta bring this thing back even more. Take them down to the water and I will test them for you there. And any one of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And any one of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog, any, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Set him aside. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink, and the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouth, was 300 men. So basically... Say anybody that gets down, but is kind of, they don't get fully down, and they're just kind of going like this, okay? What kind of a position is that? Alert, right? I'm looking out. I'm looking out. So he says, that amounted to about 300. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink their water. That involves putting down all my gear, any weapons, anything. Time for some rest. I'm getting down on my knees, and I'm going to drink me some water. It says, but all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all the others go every man to his home. Wow. That's a lot. Down to 300 people. Now, to put this in perspective, I figured this out loosely last night. If you took the total population of North Wales, Lansdale, Southerton, Hatfield, Willow Grove, Quakertown, Doylestown, Ambler, Plymouth Meeting, Norristown, King of Prussia. You put all those together. Imagine everybody that lives in all of those towns. And then I said to you roughly with the amount of people we have in here today, hey guys, we have to go battle all of these towns. And that's what we're going to do. Right? How many of you be ready to follow me in the battle? Don't raise your hand. No, no. Oh, Billy, thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. I see your hand back there. Billy's like, I, I, I would do it. Like, I would go. It's, it could be so much fun. Put it in perspective. All those towns. That would be like us marching out here. Be like, let's go, guys. Come on. We're going to take them all down. 130 5,000, that's a lot. That's crazy. 
That's pretty much outnumbered, right? That's severely outnumbered. That's not just outnumbered. That is anemic. That is like, I got nothing. You're crazy, right? Imagine some of those 300 are probably, whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't know you were going to do that. Like, hold up. So the first point this morning, and it's a good one. Just because you feel outnumbered does not mean God's provision is absent. Just because you feel outnumbered does not mean that God's provision is absent. In fact, many times in your life, you will feel like God is not doing what you need him to do. You will wonder, God, what are you doing? How many of you in your life have been to that place where you just kind of broke down and said, Lord, what are you doing? Yeah, what are you doing? Don't you see what's happening? Don't you see the struggle I'm having? Don't you see the pain I'm in? You know, I don't know, like, when you were thinking of showing up, but now would be a great time. And then God shows up and says, oh, yeah, I'm here. But listen, things are going to get a little more tight. Things are going to get a little tougher first. But tougher, I can't imagine things getting any tougher. How many of you have been stuck in a job somewhere and you were like, I got to get out of this job? And you went and talked to somebody about it, career counseling, and they said, listen, you know, I would say realistically, give yourself about a year to make a transition. And you're going, a year? I was thinking like Friday. How about Friday? Let's do Friday, all right? And you're going, Lord, I can't do a year. A year? There's no way I can do a year. And God's going, yeah, listen, things are going to get a little tight around here. Things in your life are going to get a little tough. The other night, uh, I took Tobin over to Southerton High School to see, I guess, what might be like a minor league team of the Harlem Globetrotters. They're called the Harlem Wizards. And uh, it was a, a, a lot going on in that gymnasium, let me tell you. And uh, they, what they did is they had these guys that are pros, and then they took a bunch of teachers from all the schools who I guess had played basketball at some point in their life. A little questionable on a few of them, but whatever. Um, Hey, listen, I can't talk. Let me just tell you. Obviously, I didn't get the build for a basketball player, but I, Spud Webb, I'm not. But I, we went, and Tobin was excited. He had a jersey. They, they had jerseys, you know, and he got, a, got one of those basketballs. Remember the Harlem Globetrotters with the red and white basketball and all that? And we went, and I mean, these guys were unbelievable. They were jumping over people and slamming. The one guy would dunk and pull himself up, and his feet would be up against the backboard. They were, they were doing 360s and dunking. They were amazing. But they were playing against these teachers, right? And the teachers, I mean, but here's what started to happen. They would run down to the other end of the court for the teacher's side. And like, you know, one of the teachers would walk up and they would, you know, throw a brick. And the guy would take the ball and the the announcer would go, she shoots. And he would go, and he goes, oh, wait. And he hands her the ball again. He goes, she shoots again. Boom, misses it. Oh, she shoots again. The guy who she's supposed to be playing against keeps taking the ball and going, here you go. All right, now can you do it again? Now move closer, move closer. Like they literally, I thought he was just going to pick her up and like put her up there. But, and they did that with several, right? And, and, and it just was like, all right, here you go, here you go, to keep the score close. Well, you know, sometimes what God does in our life is he puts us in situations where we keep missing, Right? And he keeps handing us the ball, right? It doesn't seem like the provision is there to make the shot. Like, ah, I stink, Lord, come on. He's like, no, no, here, here you go. Do it again. All right, do it again. Ready? Go ahead. He did that with Gideon. 
And we'll see that in a second. But just because you feel outnumbered does not mean God's provision is absent. Just because you can't shoot the ball doesn't mean that you can't get the help to get better and better. Just because you can't get up in the morning sometimes and feel like you can take on the day being faithful instead of fearful doesn't mean that tomorrow when you wake up, God's not going to be ready right then and there to say, hey, my grace is sufficient for you. I will provide all that you need. Just because you feel outnumbered does not mean that God's provision is absent. You see, the problem that we face every day is that we constantly find ourselves using our potential as the ceiling for God's grace. We struggle with this every day, is that we find ourselves using our potential, the the ceiling of our potential as the ceiling for God's grace. And the reality is, is that when we can reach a place where we realize that it's not about our potential, we will begin to experience what it is like to live under God's grace. I see Dana sitting down here this morning. Don't worry, Dana, I'm not gonna, you know, like talk about you. But Dana's been battling, both Dana and Troy, they've been battling health issues and all kinds of stuff. And, and I mean, I'm just like, listen, I've had headaches before where I, I would, was, what you would have thought I was dying. And I see Dana and she's walking in here with a smile on her face. Do you think that that's Dana's strength? Dana, is it your strength? It's the grace of God. Because God has been teaching Dana how not to allow her potential to be the ceiling for God's grace. It may not seem like the provision is there, but it is just because you're outnumbered. Being outnumbered is not the indicator of whether God is present. Being the underdog is not an indicator of whether God is on your side. Gary Ingrid, who's an author, said, you cannot be too small for God to use you. But you can be too big. You can be too big. So what does that look like, Rusty? Because, you know, I'm not really, I'm not arrogant, I don't think. I don't think that, in fact, I don't think I have, I feel like I can't figure anything out. Well, you know, the, the thing is, is sometimes the fact that we're always putting the pressure on ourselves to figure it out can be a sign of the fact that we aren't letting God. Have you ever stopped to think that all of your trying is getting in the way of God's grace? God never called us to try. He called us to trust. Judges chapter 7, verse 8 through 18, as we continue on, says, so the, so the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. That same night, the Lord said to him, arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant. And you shall hear what they say, and afterward, your hand shall be strengthened. So what did he just do? He goes, if you're afraid, here, here's the ball. Go ahead. Go ahead. What? It's okay. You're afraid? It's all right. Listen, go ahead down there. You need, you need some, some help. You need some faith here. You, listen, the author of faith is God. He provides it. It's not something we can work up. 
So it says, then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. And their camels were without number, as the sand is on the seashore in abundance. They were abundant. They, they had not cut back. They had plenty of provision, you might say. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. How amazing is this? He shows up, there's 135,000 men, and he parks it right there where a guy decides to talk about a dream that he had. It says, behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. Now, barley bread, would, that's, like a, that's like very menial, very humble. This is not, you know, barley doesn't represent something people of high class would eat. So it says, the barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. So this menial, humble, you know, not well-resourced force rolls into this mighty structure, this tent, compared to the barley, right? And it, it tumbled. It tumbled into the camp of Midian, came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, this is no other than the sword of Gideon. Boy, you don't get any more clear answers than this. It's like, gee, I, Lord, is this from you? I, I don't know, like, this seems like really coincidental, but whatever. I mean, um, he's like, well, this is about Gideon, right? Says, this is, no long, this is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped. Listen, I want to just pause for a second and say that for some of you, God has given you some dreams, actual dreams, and then like dreams calling, things to do in life. And, and the one step that maybe you haven't done, the thing that might be holding you back from moving forward in peace, moving forward in victory, is that you haven't worshiped God for the dream that he's given you. Imagine you give somebody a gift, this amazing gift, this wonderful gift. Yesterday was my oldest daughter's 20th birthday. I know I don't look anywhere near old enough to have a 20-year-old. Thank you very much. But she turned 20, and, you know, we gave her this bag along with some money, and she, she, got, she opened the eyes, she went, because oh, oh, Anna is expressive, and she loves stuff like that. And, and she just had this look on her face. Now imagine you give somebody that gift. You know they wanted it. You know that it's the thing they wanted. And they go, hmm, that was interesting. I guess I'll, you know, use it. Oh, that dream was interesting. I guess I'll go do it, Lord. I mean, you made your point. I know, I'm hard-headed. Thanks for the extra confirmation. We'll do it. No, you give somebody a gift to go, thank you. Oh my gosh, thank you. I love it. I love this gift. It's a great gift. Well, how did you find it? Where did you get it? They didn't, I didn't know. I, didn't, I looked online, they didn't have it. Like, where did you find it? That's so awesome. Oh, I love that gift. Thank you, right? That's what we do. But when God gives you a dream, when God gives you a passion for something, do we just take it and say, oh, well, that's, thanks, Lord. That's pretty neat. I'm, you know, yeah. 
Sometimes in our own false humility, we're like, well, you know, I'm not really anybody to do something like that. I don't know. No, you worship. It says he worshiped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars. This is unbelievable. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet and I, all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of the camp and shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. Now, I heard somebody say about him putting for Gideon in there, like that maybe that indicated some unhealthy things about Gideon. I believe Gideon said that because of the dream that they had. And they specifically said, this is about the sword of Gideon. So I don't think it's a sign of like, you know, arrogance or making it about him necessarily. I mean, not, listen, that could happen. But I think it was like, hey, Gideon, the sword of Gideon is here for the Lord and for Gideon. Now, what changed for Gideon from that experience? What changed for him? His perspective changed. When he went and he got that dream, when he saw that and he got that confirmation, his perspective changed. Instead of going, we don't have enough, he's going, we have to do this. That we have no other choice but to do this. God is involved and this is what he is doing. You see, what you believe is what you will worship. And what you worship is what you will take with you into battle. And he, his perspective changed, and he suddenly began to worship. He shifted his attention away from his weaknesses, his attention away from what they didn't have. He shifted his attention away from the negativity and the hopelessness and the fear. He went from being fearful to faithful because he began to worship what God had said. And when we worship the truth, when we worship who God is, we, we give thanks to God for the plan and the dream and the calling he's put in our life, guess what? Then that's what we take into battle every day. You see, God's calling for you comes with his full commitment. God's calling for you comes with his full commitment. And when you see that he is committed, when you are convinced and you know that he is committed, your perspective will change. Because here's what's so important. God's plans include your obedience. Every time, every time. God's plans for you, they always include your obedience. They require your obedience. I know, that stinks sometimes, right? It's like, Lord, come on. Like, let's just, let's microwave this thing. But it's not about that. It's about his relationship with you. One who is called plus God is always enough. When you're called and you have God, that combination, it is an unstoppable force. Maybe you've been in situations where you knew that God called you to do something and you felt so fearful doing it and you didn't know how you were gonna be able to do it. And then when you did it, you were like, wow, how did I do that? Well, you didn't. That's how. I had a situation happen, and I got to hurry. When I was pastoring in Shippensburg, PA, I was there for four months pastoring this church. And four months in, long story short, one of my deacons came to me and said, we got to do something about Bill. Now, that's not the guy's real name. I don't want to use people's real names. But um, we got to do something about Bill. And I'm like, why do we got to do something about Bill? By the way, Bill, big, big, strong, 
built very strong. Rusty not. And he goes, we've got to do something about Bill. I said, what's going on with Bill? Well, turns out he's married. He was carrying on an affair with another married woman and then a single woman. And they were all in leadership in our youth ministry. Yeah, it was crazy. Young me, I'm pretty new at this. I called my dad, I'm like, dad, he goes, I've never dealt with that before. He said, that sounds pretty crazy. (laughs) Thanks, dad. He goes, just trust the Lord, buddy. You'll get it. And we, we had to confront Bill. And, and, and I said to this, I took this other deacon with me, not the guy that said we got to do something about Bill. He was a little panicky. But I had this other guy, uh, and he's a little stronger than all of us. And I was like, hey, we're going to go meet Bill. And I called Bill, and I said, Bill, we got to meet. Okay, what about? I said, we'll talk about it when we meet. Where do you want to meet? I said, somewhere public. Uh, um, <laughs> so we met at a restaurant. And uh, we're sitting in this booth at this restaurant, and I got it. And, and on the way over there, this guy who knows him pretty well goes, listen, Pastor Rusty, he will lie to you. I'm like, well, if he's willing to do what he's doing, I'm pretty certain he'll lie to me. I mean, I get it. But he's like, no, 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 you don't understand. He's like, he will lie to you and he has no problem doing it. And he said, he's very convincing. I was like, okay. He's like, so honestly, he's like, you're going to bring it up. But he's like, I don't know where we're going to go from there. I said, well, neither do I. So we prayed and we get in there and we're sitting down. And Bill's looking at me. He's looking at this guy next to me. And he goes, so what's going on? And I said, well, Bill, I said, "Um, I'm just going to lay it out there for you. I said, it's come to my attention that you have been having inappropriate relationships with two women. And he said, no. He said, that's an absolute. He says, I don't know where that came from. But he says, absolutely not. That's not happening. And you ever reach that point where you know you're supposed to say something, but you got nothing? And I went, okay. And just on the inhale, boom, God gave it to me. And I went, Bill, I am so glad to hear that. I said, man, praise God. I said, you don't know how relieved I am to hear that. I said, that is really good news. And he kind of looked at me like, and the guy next to me is like, and I said, listen, I said, I'm so, here's what we're going to do. I said, um, uh, I am going to set up a meeting between you and your wife and these two women and me. And we're going to confront them about this because they are spreading lies about you. And I said, I am not going to allow that. Guys, I am not that smart. I can be clever, but I'm not that wise. I just am not. And, and I said, so that, and he went, I said, we're going to deal with this. I'm, don't you worry. And he goes, I'm not going to do that. And I said, well, why not? Ah, we've been through too much. I'm not going to put my wife through that. Long story short is, is that I began to bring up details that he didn't realize I knew. And next thing you know, we arrived at the truth, right? But I bring that up to say, God put me in a position of leadership that I was not qualified for. The only qualification I had is that I was willing to trust him. But we get over there, and I don't even know up to the point. What am I going to say to this? Well, okay, Bill, please. Nice talking to you, Bill. All right. You know, no. But in that moment, just, I mean, at the last second, I'm like, Lord, could you have been a little sooner? I was sweating. 
But God's calling for you comes with his full commitment. He will never let you down. And by the way, it's not about him not letting you down. It's not about your standard of letting you down. He will let you down according to your standard. He will never let you down according to his standard. His plan is best for you. His plan was not just to help the Israelites get by. His plan was to show the Israelites that they could do nothing without him. And he proved it to them. Let's quickly look at verses 19 through 25. In fact, let's just go to verse 24, okay? It says, Gideon sent messengers throughout all because they they did this and it worked, okay? That's the spoiler. They did it. And all the the Midianites started killing each other. They thought that they just were surrounded and it totally tricked them. And they ended up going after each other. And Gideon sent messengers throughout all the hill country of Ephraim saying, come down against the Midianites and capture the waters against them as far as Beth Barah and also the Jordan. So all the men of Ephraim were called out and they captured the waters as far as Beth Barah and also the Jordan. And they captured the two princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb. And Zeb they killed at the winepress of Zeb. Now, they weren't named the winepress of Zeb or the rock of Oreb before that. They think we can see how those locations got their name. But then they pursued Midian and they brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon across the Jordan. And so point three is this. The strategy for victory is found in your calling. They did what God called them to do. And as they did what God called them to do, the strategy for victory became very clear. If you look at at Gideon, it goes all the way back to his place of his calling. If you look at chapter 6, verse 11, and then 20 through 21. And I know I'm moving a little quick, guys. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth of Aphrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. So he was, you don't do this down in the valley where the winepress is. You do it up on the hill so that you throw it up in the air and all the wheat will, will, will blow in the wind where that, the wind is up there and then the good stuff falls. But he wouldn't go up there and do that. He was too afraid. Verse 20 says, And the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. The reason I read that is because that was the place. That's ground zero for Gideon's call to do this, to lead the Israelites. And then all of a sudden now at the wine press and on the rock, these two guys are killed. I believe God did that intentionally for, to show Gideon. Do you see how important your calling is? Some of you, God has been calling you, and the, the, band, the team can come up. God has been calling you to something, and you've been waiting, you've been waiting, you've been strategizing, you've been strategizing. Do you know what the most scary thing could be for you with that calling right now? Is if you are strategizing without really engaging in what God has asked you to do. Sometimes we strategize before we move into the call. The strategy is in the call. I'm all for strategy. I'm not great at it, but I'm all for strategy. But I, I don't ever want to commit the sin of being lazy and apathetic out of fear 
and saying, well, I'm just planning, I'm planning, I'm planning, I'm planning, right? All that is really a lot of times is that I'm outnumbered, I'm outnumbered, I'm outnumbered. I don't have the money, I don't have the resources, I don't have the the permission, I don't have any, any of these things that I need, I'm outnumbered. And so what we're saying is because I'm outnumbered, I guess I don't have God's provision. But God has called you to move forward in faith in his provision and it will be there. Listen, at some point, you've got to step out and say, Lord, I'm either going to fall, out on my fa- fall flat on my face doing nothing or I'm going to fall flat on my face doing something. I don't know about you, but I'd rather fall on my face doing something. I'd rather make the mistakes. I'd rather learn the hard lessons in the midst of, it, of doing God's calling in my life. Now, as we close... There's two trains of thought here this morning that I just want to ask you to ask God for help with today. For those of you, you know Jesus. You walk with him. But you don't know how you'll persevere in the faith. Say, calling, Rusty, I don't even know how I can get up every day and even really feel like God wants me, that God loves me. I'm struggling to persevere in the faith. Some of you, it is that calling. It is that dream. But you know Jesus. But you're living a life as one that's outnumbered. You're living a life assuming that that the absence of certain things means that God's provision is not there. Let's close our eyes for a moment. If you're feeling that way, you're feeling outnumbered. I feel outnumbered right now. I feel outnumbered right now. Because we reached a point in the message where suddenly we have to apply this and reflect on it. And I think this is the moment when we shut down. You don't know how you're gonna persevere in the faith You feel outnumbered. Would you just begin to pray to God there in your seat, in your own way? Just begin to tell him about how you feel. Say, Lord, I feel outnumbered. I feel like I can't do anything. 